a baby. His name is Isaiah Kiwan. <clears throat> She's not in this room right now. Actually, um, somebody knows where she is. I actually kind of need her in a few minutes. Um, she's probably feeding the baby. I know it's kind of hard to, to disturb her. Um, now, many of you are going to want to say hello to the baby um, if you haven't already, and you're going to want to ask Lori lots of questions. So I thought, in, in, just in case you don't have time to do that, I wanted to make it really easy for you. So, one, in case you don't have a chance to see the baby, I just wanted to show you a picture of the baby. Oh, wait, sorry, it's the wrong picture. Sorry, that's, that's not the baby. <coughs> that's the baby. <coughs> Big, bright eyes. I know. I love, I love this kid. Um, he, was, uh, he was born 22 inches long, over 9 pounds. Um, and then, you know, there's kind of a list of frequently asked questions that people like to ask after somebody has a baby. In case you don't get a chance to ask Gloria, I'm just going to give you the quick list here, okay? <laughs> How was the delivery? Fast. Five and a half hours. How's Gloria feeling? Great. Is she getting any sleep? You know the answer to that. Come on. And is this the last one? Yeah, probably. Pro- probably. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say yes. Oh, there he is right there. <clears throat> um, of course, this, this has been a huge time of change for, and transition for our family. And, and it's going to continue to be. Uh, my, my, my wife's mother just left on Friday, and so now we don't have someone cooking Korean food for us every day. Um, and, um, you know, I'm back to work full-time. Gloria's going to go back to piano lessons, which is her, her job. So we're going to have to adjust. Um, but over these last few weeks, there have been these moments, these instances of such, of such beauty. Um, and so many of them have to do with this family right here at Trinity Church. Um, in the weeks after our baby was born, a few of you came out to visit with us, and that was a huge blessing. One of my favorite times was when uh, the men's discipleship group that I'm a part of, they came out to my house, and they brought me a giant carne asada burrito. Now, I, I love eating Korean food, but after a while, I was just itching for a burrito. You know, I just had to, I just had to get something different in my system. Uh, another really special time was when most of our staff was able to go celebrate uh, three of our staff members' birthdays um, at, at, uh, at Norm's. And just yesterday, a whole crowd of us gathered way out in Yukaipa at an apple-picking farm. Thank you, Desiree and Sandra, our preschool director, for, for organizing that. It was so fun. Now, what makes all of these moments and many more moments so special is what we're going to talk about. And it can be summed up in one word, and that is fellowship. So we're continuing with our series today called I Love My Church, and we're taking another look at what is, what is the next dimension of church that we need to make sure that we strengthen if we're going to become the church that we were meant to be. Now, last week, Pastor Albert talked about how we grow stronger through worship, and he encouraged, he encouraged you to imagine what our time here, our worship time, could look like with what we call worship, that worship is so much more than just simply singing songs. It's a way that we live. And so today we're going to be talking about how we grow warmer through fellowship. We, go warm, we grow warmer through fellowship. I'm going to grab this handout. As always, we have a handout here that, that you can follow along with. If this kind of thing distracts you, please, no hard feelings. I will not be offended that I spent all the time working on this handout and you don't do anything with it. No, I'm kidding. Seriously, I'm one of the people that I actually get more distracted with a handout. I'd rather just kind of sit and, and look. But some of you need this, and that's, that's great. So we grow warmer through fellowship. Um, now, as we've said before, during this series especially, because this is kind of the series where we're, we're, we're casting a vision for <clears throat> who our church is and who we want to become. So if you have questions during the sermon, if you'd like to text me, that's my number. Now you have my number. You can Please don't prank call me, but you, you can text me now. Um, you can tweet at AskTrinityChurchMP.com hashtag. And then on Facebook, it's the AskTrinityMP um, tag. And you can always go on to our website or to our Facebook page as well. Um, now, we, uh, we're going to take a look at the scripture that we've, been, that we've been looking at. It's found in Ephesians 6. This is kind of our guiding scripture that we're looking at through all of these conversations. Oops. So it's Ephesians 5, and it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Christ loves us enough that he would give himself up for us to make all of us holy, which is extraordinary if you think about it, because there is no way on earth that I could be holy like God is holy. That's just ridiculous. It's only by the power of the grace of God that I could even think about being 
holy. But there's another reason why Christ gave himself up for us. And it's in this little phrase that you might pass right over. In verse 27, Paul writes that Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy and to present her to himself as a radiant church. To present her to himself. Now that phrase, to present her to himself, in the Greek, because this part of the Bible was originally written in Greek. And I don't know about you, but I don't speak Greek in my everyday life, so I have to do a little bit of study. And I found out that in the Greek, this phrase, to present her to himself, literally means to be beside standing her to himself. To be beside standing her to himself, drawing her, bringing her to himself. Baby, I'm going to ask you to come up to the stage for a minute. You can bring our, our son with you. I'm going to ask you just to kind of stand on this side of the stage right here. This is my wife, Gloria, in case you haven't met her. Now everybody is meeting her. So, so, so this is kind of what it looks like, right? This is, imagine that Gloria is, is the church, is, is, is the people of this world that God has created and that God loves, right? And just imagine. I know it's kind of hard, but just imagine that I'm Jesus for a minute, okay? Imagine that I'm God. <clears throat> right? Now this is kind of what to be beside standing her to himself would look like, Right? I'm all this way. <laughs> this, this is kind of what to be beside standing her to himself would look like. By the way, husbands and wives, this is a, a very difficult but powerful question for us. When we are unsure how to love our spouses... Uh, when, when, when times get hard, when fights erupt, when you feel distant, ask yourself, how far are you willing to go and how much are you willing to give yourself up for him or her to draw your spouse near to you again? Now, now we often think of our relationship with God in many ways, but, but how, many, how, how often do you consider that God simply desires to do this? How often do you consider that God has done this? That he has bridged not just a few feet on a stage, but an eternal divide by paying with his own blood to make us holy and to bring us close. This is what God has done for us. Now, now maybe you are not a hugger. Some of you I know are huggers. Sherry, I know you give really good massages and Sherry loves to hug, right? Some of you are not huggers. Maybe you are not the kind of person that expresses affection through physical touch. Maybe you're really not great at expressing your feelings, but that's not the point. The point is that God, through Jesus Christ, has bridged this unbridgeable gap so that we could have overflowing life in him. He made the first move. He was the first to move into our neighborhood. He has made it possible for us somehow to have an intimate relationship with the eternal one. This is what God has done to us so that he can besidestand us himself but notice that he didn't just do it for me and he didn't just do it for you he did it for all of us the church for his church now it says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present himself present her to himself as a radiant church the church is not just the pastors and the board and the leaders or somebody who has a title it's all of us who are here on this journey of faith now, it's important that I make this distinction because we need to constantly be reminded that the journey to becoming holy and the journey to becoming the church that we were meant to be is not merely an individual journey. It is not just an individual mission. We were made to take this journey in fellowship. We were made to take this journey in fellowship. We only become like Christ, holy and blameless and radiant in fellowship. Christ established his church to thrive in fellowship. All of it in fellowship. The church was meant for, as your handout says, fellowship. Now we know this fellowship is important because Jesus himself prayed before he was put to death. You, all the things that you might think about if you were in Jesus' shoes, right? Before you knew you were going to get tortured and crucified. But of all the things that was on Jesus' mind, one of the things that he prayed for was that they may be one as we, Jesus and the Father, are one. That's what was on his mind. That they may be one 
as we are one. And that we, of course, is referring to the unity of God the Father and God the Son, that there was this perfect unity between God the Father and God the Son, so that they may be brought to complete unity, Jesus prayed. Complete unity. This is what Jesus wants for us. And the Apostle Paul echoes this in the book of Philippians chapter 2 where he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Fellowship. Christ gave himself up for us so we could have fellowship, not only with God, not only vertically, but horizontally, right, with one another. The church was made for fellowship. If we are missing fellowship, we are missing a crucial part of what the church is meant to be. But what is fellowship? What does that word actually mean? Some of you who are Lord of the Rings fans might think of the Fellowship of the Ring, which is the group that was formed to destroy the ring on Mordor. Okay? Some of you know that when you are trying to advance your career, people will often say you need to join a fellowship, right, to help to advance your skills and your career. And even in church, we throw this word around a lot, but it, it gets the, the actual meaning of the word kind of gets lost. What is fellowship? Well, the word for fellowship used in the Greek, again, we're going back to that language that none of us speaks. The Greek, the original word is koivuvia. No, it's koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. Let's say it again. Koinonia. Good. So that's the original word that is used for fellowship in the Bible. Koinonia means fellowship, but it also means communion or joint participation. This word koinonia is used 19 times in the New Testament alone, and I think it's interesting that it's only used in the books and letters written after Jesus was no longer with his disciples in the flesh. Now, I don't know exactly why, but maybe I think that's because Jesus was the embodiment of fellowship. But once he was no longer there with the disciples in the flesh, they had to learn how to have fellowship through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was here, he was fellowship. He knew how to fellowship. He didn't have to talk about it. It's like when somebody talks about how, how charming and uh, great their personality is and winning their temperament is. You kind of have to wonder if they really have a winning temperament um, because they're talking about it. Jesus didn't have to talk about it. He was fellowship. So we're not going to look at all 19 passages that mention koinonia. But it's important to see that what English words are used in its place, koinonia. See, there is no word in English. Sometimes in other languages like German or something, they'll say like, hey, there's no word in English that, that can be translated exactly. You know, it's this, this German word or this other word. It's like, there's not quite a word in English. Well, it's the same for koinonia. There's not quite a word in English that exactly translates everything that koinonia is trying to say. So we have to use several different words to try to say several different things, right? Two times in when it's used, it's used to mean contribution, a contribution that somebody makes. Another two times it is used to mean participation. And three times it is used to mean sharing. Now these are all similar words as they have to do with things that are done as part of a group or a body. They're all things that we do to benefit or give to others. But we most often see koinonia being used to say fellowship. That's the most common use of the word koinonia that you will see is fellowship. Okay, so, so we know what the original word fellowship means in its original language, but what does it mean? What does it look like for us, right? If you want to see what koinonia fellowship looks like, we have to look at the one who embodied fellowship, which was, as I said, Jesus Christ himself. As I said, we never see Jesus using the word koinonia or fellowship, but we see him living it out. Jesus lived out fellowship. He embodied fellowship. He personified it. He was the epitome of fellowship. And the way he lived it out will give us a clear picture of what it means for us. So let's focus on one of the times when Jesus had koinonia or fellowship with others. And we're going to be looking. If you want to look in your Bible, you can, but the scripture is also there on your handout. We're looking at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 27. And this is what this story says. And just as you would expect, in this story, Jesus defies all the expectations. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. I love this. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
That's all Jesus had to say. Follow me. Then Levi, the same tax collector, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. It is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, for some of you, this might be a passage that you've read who knows how many times, and for some of you, maybe not. I ask you, track with me as we go through the story. Stay with me. We're going to see what this has to do with us and fellowship. Now, first, you'll notice in verse 27, it says, after this, that meant he must have done something before that. What he did before that was he healed a paralyzed man, and then he goes straight from that story into another story where he's doing a different kind of healing. Now, he sees Levi sitting there, a tax collector. By the way, Levi, you might, more, you might know him more commonly as Matthew, the tax collector, but this is Levi. He's Levi in the story. And you may have heard me say this before, but tax collectors were seen as the worst of the worst by the Jews of that time. Why? Because they were sellouts. They were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire who were the oppressors. They were the enemy. And they were collecting taxes from their own people. You could have been carrying a pack or something like that. I could have walked up to Abner and been like, hey, that pack looks like it's too big. Give me some taxes. The tax collectors had that power because they were working for the, the, you know, they were working for the man, essentially, right? They were working for the power. And so they could walk up to anybody and tax them for anything. They were sellouts, but they were Jews. They were taxing their own people. No good Jew would ever be a tax collector, and no good Jew would ever do what Jesus is about to do, which is invite a tax collector to be with him. Now, I love how Jesus just calls him and says, follow me, and he gets up, leaves everything, and following him. No questions, no hesitation. He just followed. And when it says he left everything, imagine how much money that means he left behind. You know, these tax collectors made bank. They made a lot of money. They could tax anything they want. I tax you, give me, take me, give me this. Probably kept a lot for themselves. They probably weren't the most honest people. These guys are probably rich. And he left all of that behind just to follow Jesus. If you look at this passage of scripture in another translation, the Amplified Translation, this is what it says that Jesus said to Levi. It says, join me as a disciple and side with my party and accompany me. Join me as a disciple, side with my party, and accompany me. Join me, side with me, accompany me. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like fellowship. Join with me. Be with me. Side with me. Then we see that it's Levi who throws this party for Jesus, and he invites all his messed up tax collector friends to join him at the party. And all this assortment of other sinners, a variety of other sinners. You know, so they could fellowship with Jesus over a meal. They weren't afraid of him. They weren't ashamed of being around him. They wanted to be with him. I I wish at this dinner, I wish I could have had a camera or even just a recorder to record all of the conversations that they had. I wish I could hear the things that Jesus said to them. I wish I could hear how he answered their questions. Don't you ever wonder, like, if somebody asks you a really tough question about faith or like, oh, what about this? It's like, Jesus, Jesus, where are you? I have to answer this question. I want to hear how you would answer this. I wish I could have heard. How does Jesus the holy and anointed one, interact with these horrible sinners. Because a lot of times in church, we feel or we hear, or maybe a pastor tells you, oh, don't hang around with those horrible sinners. Those people are bad. Or don't let them in. Right? But here's Jesus hanging out with sinners. Was Jesus messed up too? Well, that's what the Pharisees thought, right? And that's what we're going to see, right? So these are the people that were most commonly cut off by the religious society, and here comes Jesus, the holy and anointed one, spending time with them. Speaking of the religious society, here they come, they criticize, they question Jesus for eating with these sinners. What are you doing eating with those sinners? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know who they are? You know, like when kids play in the dirt, and you're like, oh, no, 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 you don't know where that's been, right? But imagine we're not just talking about dirt and rocks and something you found on the floor. You're talking about people. Don't you know where those people have been? Ew, Right? Ew, gross. Ew. Don't touch those people. 
That's kind of what these Pharisees were saying, right? Like, oh, yeah, don't you know where those people have been? Why are you, why are you hanging out with them? Ew. <laughs> but they're people. <laughs> what are you doing, Jesus? Now, in their defense, they probably thought they were sticking up for what is right. They probably thought they were sticking up for what was against God and God's way. But Jesus' answer is intriguing, as always. He doesn't say, well, you don't understand because you're just not, no, you don't, stop, stop judging me. Stop it. He says, it is not the sick, or he is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. <laughs> Basically, what Jesus is doing is throwing shade at the religious leaders. He's calling them out. He is saying, oh, oh, no, I, I didn't come for the perfect and healthy people like you, apparently. I came for those who are, who are sick, and they know it. Is Jesus being a little sarcastic? I think, I think so. I, I think he, he's saying that religious leaders are, in fact, you are sick, and you won't even allow yourselves to recognize it. What made them sick? What were they lacking? What was it that they were refusing to participate in? They were refusing to participate in fellowship with Jesus. These people who were so horrible and they just didn't get it because they were sinners understood fellowship with Jesus better than the religious people did. The sinners understood fellowship better than the religious people did and Jesus was with them. religious leaders probably could have just come and sat down. Hey, can we join you? And Jesus would have been like, yeah. I mean, I'm eating with sinners. Why would I eat with you? They could have, they could have come and eat, eaten with them. But they chose not to. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. And the power of the story is that if, if sharing fellowship with Jesus, in this fellowship, he was able to bridge the most unlikely parties. The holy and anointed one with the horrible sinners. If fellowship allows you to do that, how much more should fellowship allow us to bond who share this common union as members of the body here at Trinity Church? If Jesus could bridge holy and anointed with horrible sinners, how much more should fellowship be able to bring us together in the church? Do you know that there was a time when government officials, politicians, Congress, senators, they used to eat lunch together, they used to eat meals together, they, they would share meals together. And by and large, that practice has gone away. I think you can probably see the results of that in our country, in our world today, how things go. There's just such a divide. How much more in the church should we be eager to fellowship with each other? Now, I know we have differing viewpoints in this room. I know there are different opinions among us. But the goal when we fellowship is not to prove why somebody is right and somebody's wrong. The goal is not so that one person dominates the conversation or the rest. The goal is fellowship, koinonia, oneness, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every opinion, every viewpoint, every position laid at the feet of this great God of grace. Some people will say, that, oh no, you have to stand up for what you believe. You're just trying to be politically correct. No, this is not political correctness. And this is not soft. This is what Jesus did. Are you going to call Jesus soft? <laughs> Are you going to say what Jesus did was weak and a cop-out? I want you to know that I need fellowship too. I need this deep connection with Jesus and with other people. Just like any of you. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have everything figured out. I need fellowship. This connection, deeper relationship. It's just a basic human need. My friend Abner that you heard from earlier, his wife Molly, they started coming to Trinity a, a, a couple of months ago. But before that happened, Abner and I had actually started to meet as accountability partners. And if you don't know what an accountability partner is, it basically sounds like what it is. It's we have the permission to call each other out. Abner will come and be like, hey, how many times did you pray this week? Uh, yeah, I got kind of busy. Abner's like, come on, man. Get serious. Right? Hey, how do you do with your anger? How you doing with lust? How you doing with being distracted? How you doing with get, focusing and getting your work done? We give each other permission to call each other out. And we celebrate all the good stuff that's happening. And we share frustrations with each other. 
And once in a while, we even share a little bit of like, yeah, I had a fight with my wife. Nah, it, wasn't, it didn't go really well. Yeah, we give each other permission to do that kind of stuff. Because we both know that we need fellowship and we push each other to keep our eyes on Christ. I want, I want you to know this because I want you to know I'm not just telling you, hey, everybody, you need fellowship. I need fellowship. We need fellowship. We need to fellowship together. Now, how about you today? When you think of that story of Jesus eating with the sinners and being criticized by the religious people, do you relate to any of these characters in the story? Do you relate to the sinners? Do you know that everything is not right in your life and you know you need Jesus and fellowship with him? Do you relate with those sinners? Or do you relate with the religious leaders? You're really good at going through the religious motions and you've probably been doing it for years, but you can't remember the last time that you experienced true and genuine fellowship with Jesus. Or maybe you relate to Levi, who has decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. And you're even willing to introduce him to your friends. Where do you fall in this story? Do you recognize your need for spiritual community? Do you feel hungry for relationships that are deeper than just the surface? More than talk. Are you dealing with pain or loss, or grief, or change, or confusion in your life right now? Are you looking to make this place more like home to you? There is one word that I may offer that may be the solution to all of those different needs. Fellowship. How do we begin to, or continue to, make fellowship a basic element of what defines Trinity Church? How do we bring that deep connection more into this family. I want you to, to turn to somebody next to you right now, a neighbor, somebody maybe you don't know or whatever. I want you to share a, a very simple question, all right? I want you to share a very simple question. What is your favorite way to spend time with your friends? Now, if it's something illegal, maybe, um, uh, you know, we, we may have to be mandated to report whatever you, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But what is your favorite way to spend time with your friends? Okay, go ahead and just share with somebody next to you. All right, if you haven't had a chance to let the other person talk, go ahead and do that now. Make sure everybody gets a chance to share. Okay, I want to hear, uh, I want to hear some of your answers. Is anybody willing to share? What is your favorite thing to do with your friends? Eating. Eating. Play, play games? Like what kind of games? Like video games? Okay. What else? Anybody like to do like, what's that? Crafting, yes, we have a ladies crafting group that meets here every Friday night. Carol right here is leading that group and, uh, and it, it is open. Um, usually it's pretty much mostly ladies, but if you wanna be the odd one out, man, you can come on out too probably. Couple more. Like what? Like sharing personal, like deep kind of stories and, yeah, sure. Like. Yeah. And one more. Go to the gym together. Make do makeup together, right? I mean, I can't relate, but you're like, geez, maybe you should. Yeah, um, we all have those things that we like to do. You know, Bill, I think um, you and Jesus have a lot in common. I think Jesus's favorite way to connect with his friends was through food. I think that was Jesus' favorite way to connect. A good portion of the time that we see Jesus connecting or fellowshipping with people, his friends, he was either eating food or talking about food. <laughs> I think Jesus liked food. You can relate, right? You're a chef, right? Those of you who like to cook, those of you who like to prepare, you like to think, you consider yourself a foodie. Every time you eat a really good meal, you have to take a picture of it and post it on Instagram and Facebook. Food. Jesus liked food. Let me give you some examples. When, when he first spends time with John's disciples, they come and ask him about what he's doing and where he's going. He spends the day talking and eating with them. When he calls another tax collector, Zacchaeus, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. <laughs> One of his greatest recorded miracles is when he did what for over 5,000 people? He made food. <laughs> What did Jesus do on the night that he was 
right before he was betrayed and put to death. He ate food <laughs> with his friends. After Jesus had risen from the dead, how did he welcome his disciples back into friendship, even though they had abandoned him? Open fire and some fish. Food. And that's not to mention all the references to food. Bread of life, living water, bread and wine. There is something about eating and eating together that Jesus saw as valuable. Sacred, even. I think it's time for us to take a look at how we can begin to experience fellowship by eating together more. You're saying, eating more? That sounds great. But I mean, the more important, like eating together, like carving out time, like rather than just like grabbing a you know, microwave burrito and eating it over the sink, like how do we eat together, share meals together? There's something special about this. Now, I recognize that eating is not the only way to experience fellowship, and there are plenty of other ways for us to connect on a deeper level, but there's no denying that this was a favorite of Jesus, and I think it's a great place for us to start. Eating together is not everything, but if we don't do it, we're missing a huge part of the puzzle, all right? We all have this need to connect, don't we? We all have a need to connect. Some of you feel like you're still, like you're still new to this church. How do I really make friends? How, do I really... How are we going to connect? A great way to do it, unintimidating, you're going to have to eat anyway, share a meal. Some of you are feeling like, oh, we sent like 30 people over to Roland Heights and I'm feeling like I don't see my friends anymore. How do I, how do I start rebuilding some connections here at Trinity and feel like I'm that closest and home again? Share a meal together. Some of you are feeling like it's just work, 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 right? And all week long. And then you come here, and it's like you're serving in ministry, and you're doing all that. i got to set this thing up. It's like always just doing something. How do I feel connected instead of just like constantly going, 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 going? Share a meal together. We have this need. You know, I heard this. Actually, there's a few really touching, powerful, heartbreaking stories this past week, and they all had to do with connection. It was amazing. Some of you know that a few years ago there was a huge tsunami in, uh, in Japan. People were killed. There was a whole thing with the nuclear plant and everything that was, it was really scary and the stuff was getting in the water. But there was this one little town where most of the people that died came from. And so one of the people in the town, he set up a, he had lost his, his wife, I think, or something, and he set up a phone booth. Like he just got an old phone booth. We don't have phone booths anymore, but he set up a phone booth. And he put a phone there, and he would just go, and he set it up in his garden, and he would just go out there, and he'd pretend to talk to his wife. Which sounds weird, right? Like what? It's like some Twilight Zone or something, right? But the thing is that people started hearing about it, and other people who had lost loved ones, they would go out to the garden. He would just see, like, random people show up in his yard using the phone to somehow still feel connected to the people that they lost, and they never found their bodies. I heard another story of these two brothers. One is 80 and one is 85. And from way back when they were young, they would always had this kind of, they would always butt heads. And so they hadn't talked to each other for years. Some of you know about this, right? And especially if you're older and you have these people in your life that you're like, no, I just don't talk to them anymore. And you don't see yourself ever talking to them again. And that's kind of how it was. And so the, the, one, of the, one of those brothers' sons said, you know what, this is enough. I'm going to try to get these two together. Because they're not getting any younger. Who knows when they're going to have the opportunity so we got them together. And see, the thing was that, that the younger brother always thought that the, the mom favored the older brother. And there was even a time where the dad was being abusive and the mom came back with the police and said, I want to take that son. And she didn't want to take the other son. And so the younger son always thought that the mom loved him more. But when they actually finally sat down over a meal to share, they found out that the reason why the mom wanted to take the older brother was, was because the younger son had a better relationship with the dad. It was the older son who was getting beaten more. She wanted to protect him. It wasn't that she loved that son more. How many times do we, do we fail to meet this deepest need that we have to connect on a deeper level? And what are the things that get in the way of fellowship? Time? Misplaced priorities? Right? I want to connect with other people, but man, Pokemon Go! I want to connect with other people, but man, texting! It's much easier. Sometimes it's just unresolved conflict gets in the way of this deep need that we all have 
Sometimes we just end up not talking about things for years. Fellowship, we all need it. So here's our challenge for today, and, and it doesn't get any more practical than this. Can we start to eat together more? Can we eat together more? As a church, as a family, as Trinity, can we make time to eat together more? By the way, this picture is taken from our Filipino congregation on the Roland Heights campus. Every so often, they've had a giant Filipino food feast. I've been invited twice, and I was unable to make it both times. Looking at this, I want to be there next time. <laughs> it looks so good. Can we start eating together more? Maybe for now, we just start by eating together once a week on a Sunday after service. What if we got to a point where we were sharing a meal maybe twice a week? You know, if you look in the stories of the old original church in Acts, one of the things it says that they did together throughout the week, almost daily, was that they would break bread together. They would eat. What if we got to a point where we could do that together on a, whoa, on a regular basis? And we could eat together. And as we do, as we eat together, we find ways that we can connect now, we know that it's not just the eating that connects us, but it's what happens at that table that connects us, the conversations that are had, the bridges that are built, the stories that we learn about each other, the bonds that are strengthened, the forgiveness that is offered, the understanding that's achieved that allows us to fellowship. This is something that we may not do enough. Some, sometimes even families will find it easier to just sit in front of the TV or, like I know my, with my wife and I right now, it's like, the baby, if you put him down for too long, he cries. So, like, Gloria has to hurry up and eat so that I can hold the baby. And then as soon as she's, you know, she's done eating, then she's got to come hold the baby. And we got to, like, trade off and switch places. And I know there are things that keep us from always sitting down. But sometimes it's just a matter of, yeah, let's just plop in front of the TV. Let's just grab our food and let's, like. Now, if it's a show that you like to watch together and then you can talk about it afterwards together, I guess that could be fellowship, too. But my point is, can we share meals to achieve fellowship together. Families, especially parents, I, I want to chat, especially if you have older kids, when you sit around that table, can I encourage you, challenge you to put away your phone, put away your devices, turn off the TV, just focus on being with your family. I, I, I know that this, this thing can be a distraction for me when I go to dinner. If I'm getting phone calls, if I want to check the Dodger game score, if I want to see what's happening here or there, I've got to put this thing away. I don't need that distracting me from that time with my family. And those of you who are parents, you know that this time goes very fast. And you're not going to get this time back. So make the most of it. So what are some ways that we as a church can begin to experience deeper fellowship particularly when it pertains to sharing meals together. We shared with you about family promise. Did you know that a big part of family promise is sharing meals together? Those of you who are friends, or if you're trying to get to know each other better, I challenge you, grab a couple of other families, say, we're going we're gonna to cook up some dinner on this, on this night. We're going to come share a meal with these families, these homeless families that are here, and with each other who are going to be staying with us starting next Sunday. Bring your kids. You are encouraged to bring your kids because there are going to be other kids there so the kids can play together. You can get a feel for what it's like to be a family that has nowhere else to go but this church, and you can be hosts for them. That experience could be life-changing. I encourage you, share a meal with somebody over family promise. Oh, but I can't do it all by myself. It's too much. Don't do it all by yourself. Grab a couple of other families. You grab the drinks. They bring the fried chicken. Somebody else, you see what I'm saying? Like everybody contributes. Sharing this experience together. It is absolutely worth it. Some of you have been hearing a lot about our relaunch team. And what the heck even is that? Well, if you haven't noticed, our church has changed a lot over the last year. We merged with another campus. We sent a huge chunk of people from here to over there. We need to rebuild and relaunch this campus, and we want every one of you who cares about what happens on this campus to be part of that. <clears throat> Young and old, men and women, newcomers, old-timers here at Trinity Church, long-time attenders, millennials, families, 
If you care about, if you're invested in what happens about, on, here on this campus, I invite you to be part of this. And something that we do at the beginning of every relaunch team meeting is we eat together. We will eat together. We will share a meal together. We will just share, catch up, encourage each other before we get down to business. Life groups. There was a time when we had several active life groups here on this campus, but because of the change in the transition, some of them dissolved, some of them are on hold. And we've said that we're going to do a big push campaign in January where we get all the life groups going, but what we've realized is that we cannot wait that long to offer people a regular time and a place to enjoy fellowship together. So I'm going to give you a list of some of the life groups that are going to be starting up in the next few weeks or a couple of months. We have two great Sunday school classes, by the way, that happen right here on campus. One of them is being taught by Ivy Conklin, sitting right back there. Another one being taught by Wes and Talene Burrell. Faith Connections is led by, uh, by Ivy. Uh, and uh, the James Study is being led by uh, Wes and Talene. And they both meet at 9.30 here. Now, you're not necessarily getting together over a meal. But if I can offer a little bit of a stretch, you are feeding your heart and your mind. And you are feeding the relationship need that, that we all have. That's one option. And it happens right here on Sundays. So you don't have to like come out on an extra day. Just come out for Sunday school a little bit earlier than you would usually come to church. There is a couples group that's being led by Albert and Christine, which is technically closed, but they may be willing to open up slots for people who are willing to really commit consistently to that group. So you may want to talk to Albert and Christine about that, Pastor Albert and his wife Christine. I myself will be starting a life group for MPCS families or families that are connected to MPCS, other young families that are connected to us, either through the church or the school. I would love to see some families come out to that. We have a lot of families that come through the school or connected to the school, but they're not actually connected in fellowship to the church. I want to see that change. The Bridge is a group that's made up of 18 to 20-somethings. meets right over at Jeff's house in Monterey Park. And they, they sing together, and they always eat together, and they love to post pictures of the food that they eat and themselves eating because they are millennials, and that's what they do, right? <laughs> you got to put it. Picks or it didn't happen, right? So that food always looks good. Um, that, that group is for, for that millennial crowd. And within the next few weeks, we're going to be starting two women's Bible study groups, groups that are specifically for women, one on the Roland Heights campus and one here. If you have questions about that one, you can talk to Pastor Christine, and uh, she may, she's probably not going to be leading that one, but she will have more information for you. Another idea is that your pastors and your board members have been dreaming for a long time of what it would look like, what it would take to have a monthly feast together, where everyone is invited, you're free to invite whomever you want, and I can tell you that this dream is closer to becoming reality. So many of us are feeling the impact of the changes that have happened in our congregation, merging and sending. One day a month, both campuses, we would have a feast. Roland Heights would have theirs at 12. We would have ours about 1245. And we would meet every month and just eat together. Share together. And you'd be able to invite anybody to that feast. Here's the most immediate and practical one of all. If you don't have any plans after service today, or if you can move some things around... Go eat with someone today. Go eat with someone. On your handout, if you, if you have a handout, I've given you some options, some local options. Now, some of you are like, I know every place around here. I don't have to give you any options. But I've given you just a little bit of a starter list, okay? I've given you a Chinese food option. I gave you a fish taco option. I gave you a, a home option if you want to gather in a home. So Fred Sornoso, who sits right over there, he's the biggest Dodger fan I know. And so he really cares about the Dodgers, and he cares that today is Vin Scully's final game announcing a Dodger game ever. And so he is going to be opening up his home and serving some food. If you would like to go enjoy that game and just hang out there for a while, he's going to be ordering a pizza or something. If you could just chip in, bring money to chip in for that. If, if you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm scraping this, this month. I don't have anything. Then let me know. I'm sure we can probably put your bill for you. Don't worry about it. But Fred's going to be opening up his home. Uh, there's Bun May right up there on Garvey. This is a favorite place that Trinity Church people like to go to right on. We like, we like the, the quick, cheap, easy Vietnamese food that's really good. Okay, um, That's up on Garvey. We've got Happy Family right down here on, uh, on Via Campo or Wilcox right here. There's Fish Taco Express 
Over on Beverly, anybody like fish tacos? Sounds really good, right? Fish Taco Express, a lot of little good hole-in-the-wall places. If you want to go somewhere else, by all means, go for it. Just go eat with someone. Go share a meal with someone. I, I know, I have a newborn, we have kids. I know that it's hard sometimes, and by lunchtime, the kids are like, <laughs> going crazy, whatever. But just to share that time, it's worth it to share a meal. And if you go with somebody who doesn't have kids, you can give them a reality check of what it's like to eat lunch with kids. The point is that you are making space and time to fellowship together. Not just today, we want to start a trend. Here in Monterey Park, over at Roland Heights, not just going to eat with the same people that you with every week because they're your besties, right? How do we invite other people into this fellowship? How do we invite other people into this community? Two weeks from now, a month from now, three months from now, a year from now, people will be carving out time to fellowship with each other over a meal, and we'll do it right after this time of worship. You can even consider that a continuation of our worship. We get together, we sing, we listen, we hear the word together, we pray, and we go eat together. And we can even talk about, like, hey, what did you think about what Pastor Johnny said? I think he's crazy. And you can, you can share about that. You can, like, bond together over me and my craziness, whatever. Amen, right, Wes? You know, is it hard sometimes when all you want to do is go home and just watch football? You just want to plop down on your couch? You just want to go take a nap? Yeah, maybe. But we are missing this critical part of our faith journey. If we are not engaging in fellowship at every opportunity and inviting other people, new people, to join in with that as well. Now, I know I just gave you a lot of information, and it's all there on your handout, okay? If you have more questions about any of the opportunities that I brought up, please feel free to follow up by writing on your connection card what you are interested in. So if you're interested in helping with Family Promise, you can write it on your card, or you can go see Karen or Veronica right outside. They're going to have, a hand, they're gonna have a, the sign-up sheet, and they're going to be asking people who wants to sign up for what day and do this. Jump on it. Uh, if you want more info on the MPCS Life Group, leave a note on your card or shoot me an email. I hope you can see that this is more than just information. These are opportunities. Open doors. Take them. Engage in fellowship. You will not regret it. I want you to know I have experienced firsthand what fellowship looks like at this church and the impact that it can have when it is shared specifically over meals. You know, a year ago, when Pastor Albert and his family went on sabbatical, they were away for three months, my family and I, along with some other staff, we went through some of the most difficult times in ministry that we have ever faced, hands down. I was overwhelmed with crises at church. My car was totaled. Gloria and I were having some of the worst fights that we had ever had in our marriage. I didn't know if I could continue in ministry. We actually had several conversations where Gloria was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I said, yeah, I don't know if I can either. I didn't think I was going to be a pastor anymore. I did not think that I was going to be able to do it anymore. And one of the things that saved me during that time, though, was something so simple. Some of you went out of your way, showed up at our house with food, and sometimes you even shared a meal with us. Those times of fellowship helped me to put things in perspective and helped me to have an attitude of gratefulness instead of complaining. Thank you, Trinity Church, for being a place of fellowship for me and for my family. And now I'm calling us. Let's build that up again. Let's be this place of fellowship again. I need fellowship. You need fellowship. Can we be that place? So the other English word that is used for koinonia is, as you saw, communion. And we get to participate in communion today since it's the first Sunday of the month. This is what we do at Trinity. I'd like to ask our ushers who, is, who are uh, distributing communion. If you know that you were, that's you, you can come on up. Thank you. And uh, once you get your, the elements, you can go ahead and stand at your stations. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, tortured, and put to death, he shared a meal with his friends. You know what we call that meal? It's called the Last Supper. 
But it was also, it happened to fall on the day of the celebration called Passover. And in Luke 22, Jesus says to his friends, as he's getting ready to be tortured and crucified, he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. How incredible is it that this God we are talking about, this God revealed in Jesus Christ, this God who was about to be tortured and crucified for us, was eagerly desiring to eat with his friends, and that he still today eagerly desires to share in fellowship with us. How incredible is it that God so eagerly desires to be one with us that he would give himself up for us to be tortured and crucified. Now here at Trinity, we practice what is called open communion. We believe that all people are welcome at God's table. You don't need to be a Christian. You don't need to profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord or believe in God at all to be welcome at this table. Now if you profess Jesus Christ as your God and your salvation, you may receive the bread and dip it in the juice and then eat it. But even if you are not a Christian, even if you are, if you label yourself as something else, if you call yourself something else, you may still come and receive this bread because everyone is welcome at the table. And by the way, we've recently had some people who are so eagerly desiring to, to eat this meal that they will actually grab the glass and drink out of it straight. We want to ask you not to do that. You know, germ purposes. If you would take the bread, dip it, Make sure that the bread is far enough away from the cup that it doesn't drip back in, and then eat. If you want a big swig, we can offer you to drink the rest of the juice after we're done with the service. But I'm going to pray. And, and then when you are ready, I would like to invite you to come up to one of the stations that is nearest to you. Wes and Joanne are there in the back. Carol and Jenny are right here, and Jeff and I will be up here in the front. And when you're ready, you can receive that element that, uh, that you have. So let's pray. Lord, what an awesome gift. What a privilege. That you are a God of fellowship. That you are a God who desires to fellowship with us. That you eagerly desire to partake with us. That you eagerly desire to walk through the everyday with us. That what we may consider mundane is where we often find you and see you. That what we may consider routine, maybe even undesirable, is often where we experience you. Because fellowship with you means communing with the Holy One, the Almighty God. And fellowship in Christ means that we communicate with one another. We commune with one another. We fellowship with one another. Christ in you is the one true fellowship. This we believe. And we celebrate that today as we partake of communion. The bread which represents your body that was broken for us and the juice which represents your blood that was shed for us. We bless your holy name, Lord. May we experience fellowship today with you and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name.